0: Please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning and welcome to NAM Talks. Today, let's talk inflation. But before we begin, some housekeeping rules. As always, we offer the following webinar in a few different languages. You can access them. By pressing the interpretation button below. Your questions of course are always welcome and you can send them to nerdeafunds at Nerdia.com. This morning, I have the pleasure of having with me Jonathan Tritel of Nordea's Global Listed Infrastructure Strategy and John Cresswell of Nordea's Global Real Estate Strategy. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Thank you. So Jonathan, let me begin with you. Uh, since most of our investors uh, might not be familiar with their asset class, can you tell us what is global listed infrastructure and what type of companies do you invest in? Yeah, I'm happy
1: to. So uh, global listed infrastructure, it, contra- it comprises $4 trillion worth of total market cap. These are essential assets. Uh, they exhibit long-term, stable, growing, inflation-protected cash flows with regulated or contracted rates of return. Um, They're global assets that are absolutely essential to growth themes, um, including decarbonization, asset modernization, and digital transformation. So within decarbonization, we'll invest in companies like global utilities that are developing wind and solar power, absolute leaders in the field. Uh, We'll invest in the owners and operators of transmission grids that are spending billions of dollars to prepare their networks for the onboarding of this renewable capacity. Um, And themes like asset modernization, we'll invest in water utilities that are ripping up kilometers and kilometers of lead pipe, replacing it with cleaner materials. We'll invest in essential energy and transportation networks that are gonna be parts of our daily lives for decades to come. And within digital transformation, we invest in the fiber networks, the cell towers, the data centers, all the physical infrastructure on the ground that supports the quadrupling of data that's coming in the cloud over the next several years. Um, so these are absolutely essential assets. In total, we have $100 trillion worth of spending that's likely to occur for the infrastructure sector over the next two decades, all of which should lead to growing inflation-protected cash flows and dividends for infrastructure investors. So that's our space.
0: Thanks, uh, Jonathan. And to you, uh, John, what, what is, what, for those that are less familiar as well, what are real estate investment trusts?
2: Sure. Real estate investment trust is a actually a legal name for um, a structure that was in, um, originated in the U.S. Uh, where commercial real estate companies um, became listed so that people could buy them. And in return uh, for that, um, they would own and operate commercial real estate and um, get special tax treatment. That tax treatment allowed them to pay and pass through their profits to investors as kind of dividend payments. As this structure became popular, it spread around the world. And now we have the REIT structure in uh, dozens and dozens of different company, uh, countries, rather, in both developed and developing world. And it's become a great kind of mechanism or structure for individual and institutional investors to own commercial real estate, whereas in the past, they would have had to do that through a private
0: structure. Right. And, and can you tell us a little bit more of what environments uh, they're expected to perform well?
2: Yes, certainly. Um, Real estate investment trusts or real estate companies, if you will, listed real estate companies have done extremely well on their own on an absolute basis, but also on a relative basis uh, versus broader markets. Uh, We actually have a chart for you where we uh, look at it versus different uh, periods of inflation. In periods of low inflation, the broader markets would probably outperform uh, real estate investment trusts but they would keep up, they would do fairly well, um, given both their income and capital appreciation. But what we find is that you move into periods of moderate inflation, Um, real estate investment trusts historically have actually done better than the broader markets. Um, And even in periods of high inflation, they've typically done better than the broader markets. So um, we definitely look at these real estate uh, companies in a holistic, a total return uh, standpoint, both the cash flows from the operating companies that are driving appreciation and the dividends or the income off of that. And when you look at those two components, uh, the returns have been uh, very favorable versus the broader markets and even better during inflationary periods.
0: And and can you give us a little bit more of a, of a sense how how they've changed or evolved over time?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a great question, uh, and it, it probably applies to both infrastructure and real estate. Over the last couple decades, um, these markets have have, have matured uh, dramatically. So, specifically with regard to REITs, if you look, for example, in two thousand ten versus two thousand twenty, just a ten year period, you would find that the number of sectors has increased, and the depth of those sectors has increased, meaning. Uh, new sectors to invest in, and within each of those new sectors, many more opportunities, many more companies, a growing universe globally, so that it's a much more attractive um, asset class today than I think it was even just 10 years ago. Let me give you an example. If you look at the, the, the chart of these two markets in 2010 versus 2020, look, for example, just at retail. So think of strip malls and shopping centers. Look at the decrease in in retail exposure as retail has been um, more constrained by the Amazon effect. But then if you want to counter example, look at industrials. Industrial buildings, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago were kind of boring. Trucks would pull up and you'd unload packages and other trucks would pull up and get the packages. Today, industrial is really thought of, we call it logistics. And you can think of e-commerce, you can think of AI and Robots and all the technology that goes into industrial and you can see that that sector has expanded dramatically. So just as the economy has expanded, real estate has kind of expanded to meet those needs. And it gives investors like us many more levers to pull than we had even just 10
0: years ago. So thank you. And it's a lot of interesting evolution in in that asset class. Jonathan, I want to come back to you. Uh, And, you know, today's topic is obviously centered around inflation. How concerned are you about uh, inflation? Where where do you see it down the road?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I appreciate it. Um, You know, look, I would say just as as citizens, we're we're always worried about inflation and concerned about inflation. But, um, you know, as infrastructure investors, we take a lot of solace in the fact that, you know, 90% of the listed infrastructure universe has the ability to pass on inflation to the end users of their assets. So, um, you know, because of those underlying characteristics, you're dealing with an asset class that outperforms in periods of above average and rising inflation or above average and falling inflation, you know, typically around, you know, 7 to 9% versus global equities. And we have a great charter in that that shows the outperformance of listed infrastructure in different uh, inflationary regimes. Um, and I'll just give you an, an example in terms of how it works, if that's helpful. So, um, you know, let's say you're a leader in global decarbonization, like, you know, the national grid in the United Kingdom, right, you know, so you're an essential owner and operator of a transmission grid network, Um, you know, you're powering millions of uh, customers daily with electricity, with gas, Um, your um, cash flows are inflation protected, you have an agreement with your regulator, so that as inflation rises, the end charge on that customer bill rises. Uh, we see the same thing when it comes to U.S. railroads, like the Union Pacific. You know, you're one of five Class One railroads that has a decades-on-decade history of pricing increases in excess of inflation, and because of that, you've been able to, uh, you know, expand your margins by thousands of basis points. Um, so again, it's the it's the underlying characteristics of the assets themselves that have lent themselves to inflation-protected cash flows and You know, inflation-protected you know performance
0: uh, relative to global equities. Thanks, Uh, John. Back to you. Um, And within your asset class, why do why do you think they're considered a a natural inflation hedge?
2: Yeah, I think there's um, one primary reason, which which I'll talk about, and then um, probably another reason, which is maybe a benefit of the asset class. So the first primary reason would be um, sometimes we 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 say it like this: uh, rents over rates. So if you think about Inflation coming, uh, maybe capital costs or interest rates rising, um, maybe some demand, supply demand uh, um, imbalances. um, You know, that can cause dislocation, that can cause volatility in the market. We we, we see it uh, seemingly every week now. But the nice thing about real estate is uh, those demand characteristics, uh, additionally, um, initially, can in many cases cause higher interest rates. But those uh, real estate companies, uh, much like infrastructure, kind of have the built in mechanism to overcome those. They have the ability to, um, through supply demand characteristics, through better properties, through better capital allocation of of ultimately charging higher rents uh, to meet those additional costs. And so while maybe initially in the short term, those shocks can look a little bit daunting, These real estate companies have proven through many, many different market cycles that over the next one, two, three, four years, the rent and the pricing power can kind of overcome anything that inflation can kind of throw at it. So, again, there's almost a built in mechanism um, within them through demand and pricing to overcome higher capital charges and higher costs. So they've just proven, again, through many different markets. To be very um, resilient to these inflation shocks. Now, I mentioned there was two reasons. The other reason I would mention is because of all the different sectors now uh, in real estate, you have many different subsectors that have a higher or lower degree of um, of, of economic sensitivity and a higher or longer or shorter lease duration. So, let me give just a simple example. If you think about an office building, uh, office REITs tend to be very, very long. If, you, if you're a company and you're signing in an office lease, it's probably 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, healthcare can be very long. Um, things like data centers and cell towers can be very long. But what's on the other side of that spectrum? How about a, how about a hotel? How about lodging, right? What's, what's the duration of, of your contractual rent with your client? It might just be one night. If I go to a hotel and stay for one night, my lease duration essentially is is, is one day. Contrast that with the office building that might be 20 years or 30 years. So you could start to think about this. If I have higher degrees of economic sensitivity and I have different lengths of leases, I could kind of toggle those to um, help me immunize to whatever environment I'm in. If inflation's going up, I want a shorter duration so that I can capture those price increases in my self-storage, in my student housing, in my lodging, because every night or every week or every month, I could charge a little bit higher rate and capture that inflation. Um, if I'm in low inflationary environment, maybe office or healthcare uh, would be fine with a longer duration. So we think real estate's really interesting asset class because it, it's it's this rents over rates which immunizes you against inflation and then the diversity of lease duration and economic sensitivity that you have that we can augment to also protect against inflation so we think those two factors allow us to really um, not just kind of sit and accept inflation but kind of dynamically manage around inflation
0: so obviously a good natural hedge right uh, jo- Jonathan, going back uh, to you, um, and I think this is uh, a good question, particularly in this moment uh, in time. Why do you think now is a good time uh, to invest in infrastructure? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so look,
1: when we look at the listed infrastructure asset class, you know, we see a space that's entering an investment super cycle. Um, and it's driven by a couple different things. So it's driven by accelerating global demand and the growth themes that I talked about earlier. You know, things like decarbonization, asset modernization, digital transformation. Um, it's also being driven by accommodative global policies around the globe um, relate, related to net zero. You know, you have close to 70% of global economies today that have a net zero target. Um, you have things like the European Green Deal. You have things in the U.S. like the Build Back Better plan. All of these things are, are providing immense accommodative policy support to the listed infrastructure asset class and the projects that these companies embark on. Um, and then the third thing that I would, I would throw in there is that infrastructure, it's also very timely from a valuation perspective. So if you look at um, you know, how infrastructure is priced relative to global equities on, an, on a cash flow basis, on an EV to EBITDA basis, relatively speaking, it really hasn't been this cheap since just coming out of the, the GFC. So really, it's a, it's a generally, generational level cash flow uh, discount to global equities. Um, When you look at it relative to fixed income, the uh, dividend yield spreads of listed infrastructure versus corporate bonds. Similarly, uh, at at very high historical levels, even though the dividends here are inflation protected by virtue of the cash flows, and they're growing at an above average rate because of the growth themes that I was just talking about. Um, And then the last reason that we think that infrastructure is very timely from a valuation perspective has to do with the uh, public versus private arbitrage that you see out there, so you know there's close to a trillion dollars of private equity infrastructure capital on an unlevered basis that's chasing very scarce publicly listed assets and they're paying increasing premiums to do so so historically. Um, They paid an average of a 20% premium to either acquire a company or acquire a stake relative to where the listed entity is trading. And now they're trading more like 30% premiums in the last year and a half. So again, billions and billions of dollars that are coming towards scarce publicly listed infrastructure assets. And so not only do you have accommodative policies um, from across the globe, not only do you have above average cash flow and dividend growth going forward, but you also have a very constructive setup relative to other asset classes that are out there today.
0: So certainly a lot of opportunities there for our investors in the infrastructure space. John, going back to you, how how do you see uh, the current uh, global real estate market? And where do you see the most opportunities? And and where are you trying to avoid at all costs?
2: Yeah, it's um, obviously it's been a challenging environment. I, I would say there's nothing we're avoiding today. If you go back to 2020 and go back to my last example of economic sensitivity, the first half of 2020, we were obviously trying to avoid economic sensitivity, so we were in logistics and data centers and you know healthcare and anything that was more longer dated and less economically sensitive. In the second half, uh, towards the end of 2020 and into 21, as um, the economies were coming back and, and, and opening up, uh, we flipped that on its head, we wanted more economic sensitivity um, we were coming back to things like lodging and retail. Um, today, we, we kind of want a balanced approach. Um, you have new stories, right, that send the markets down because there's a new strain of, of COVID. And, and on those days, as you might imagine, lodging and retail are down um, and, and um, logistics and, and self-storage are up. And then on the next day, those flip. So um, we're really looking for companies that are growing that have scale, uh, that have uh, an advantage in their particular markets. Um, And and we're really kind of barbelled between some of those more uh, economically sensitive names, uh, um, but also still holding on to some of the office and logistics and and what we would call those long-term secular growers, even though they're probably a little bit more expensive. So um, that barbell approach uh, for us has worked well. It's really too hard in this environment from a risk management standpoint to make big bets and say, I'm gonna go all in on retail because there's gonna be a new vaccine or a new uh, antiviral pill or something like that. Or conversely to say, there's gonna be a new variant and we're not gonna hold any retail. That that almost becomes a risky proposition to make too big of bet. So we really wanna focus on competitive companies with kind of a barbell approach um, in both categories, probably favoring a little bit towards economic sensitivity as you have economies around the world, especially in the U.S., growing very rapidly right now.
0: Really interesting. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Jonathan, I couldn't have you here today as, <laughs> as our guest on, on infrastructure without asking you about Biden's Build Better Back uh, plan. Uh, could you give us sort of uh, how, how that will impact the infrastructure space?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so infrastructure, its it's been very topical uh, this year in the U.S. for sure. Um, I would uh, kind of draw a distinction and, and just kind of give you an overview of, of everything that's passed from an infrastructure perspective. So we've kind of had two bills that have been in the news here um, in the last several months. Um, the first one was the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Um, that was a $1.2 trillion bill. Um, it addressed areas that had lacked significant investment in recent decades. So we're talking about roads, bridges, rail, power, and water infrastructure. Um, it also uh, made a very uh, significant push to address um, a concern here, um, which is called the digital divide, which is disparate levels of internet access between privileged and underprivileged communities. Um, and so it's uh, putting you know, close to $70 billion Um, towards addressing these gaps, effectively accomplishing a public good by incentivizing tremendous amounts of private activity. And we certainly have exposure um, to kind of bridging that digital divide and benefiting from that expenditure um, within our holdings in the communications sector, um, just as an example um, of that. Um, So that's the uh, kind of first bill that I would point you to, the $1.2 trillion. And um, what's currently on the docket is the $1.7 trillion reconciliation bill, the uh, Build Back Better Act, um, you know, sought by progressive Democrats. If it's passed by the Senate, it will have a more direct impact on our companies. Um, it includes substantial clean energy incentives, so tax credits on wind and solar. It includes support for nuclear generation assets for hydrogen and battery storage. In total of the $1.7 trillion bill, um, you have about, uh, you know, 500 billion that's being allocated towards clean energy and these sorts of uh, initiatives. Um, you know, estimating the chances of passage, it's it's always difficult. And, and we're heartened thus far. The majority of the debate um, in Washington really seems to be more about social programs in the bill rather than support for clean energy itself. Um, and one thing that we would highlight is Whether you've had a Republican or a Democratic administration over the last several years, there's been tremendous support for clean energy and clean energy penetration in terms of the overall US uh, generation fleet has only uh, continued to accelerate. Um, So really good support there for clean energy on both sides of the aisle. Um, And then the last thing that we would highlight um, would really just just putting this into context. Um, so opened up my comments talking about $100 trillion of total investment opportunity for listed infrastructure within the next two decades. And, and so really just putting that kind of half a trillion into context, we don't rely upon the Build Back Better Act in order to drive the cash flows or the dividend growths of the companies um, within our uh, portfolio. Um, and so really independent of what happens in Washington within uh, you know, the next several weeks, Um, we feel pretty good about where a listed infrastructure sits.
0: Great. And that's fantastic. And look, whatever happens, we'll invite you back. And and then maybe you can also address it if it passes. And if not, we know that you guys already have a really well prepared solution for our investors. That's a date. John, last but not least, uh, I'm not going to hold you to it. But of course, investors are always interested in knowing sort of outlook and particularly in the, in the real estate space, what, what is your outlook for 2022, knowing that I won't hold you to it in case it doesn't go exactly the way you, you think?
2: Yeah, all we have to go on is fundamentals, right? Because we don't know what the other asset classes are going to do. But when we look ahead um, at, at, at two, you know, um, pretty recognizable metrics, um, and, and I think we have them for you today in slides, uh, one would be um, kind of 2022 earnings growth. And the other would be current uh, dividend yields. Uh, They're both very strong. They're both very attractive relative to what investors can get um, through broader markets or through fixed income vehicles. Um, You have the um, tailwinds of of economic recovery. You have some of these inflation factors built in that we discussed earlier today. Um, And you have generally an appetite for real assets. so we're we're very favorably inclined on 2022 from a fundamental standpoint, uh, from a sentiment standpoint. Obviously, real estate had a very good so far. We've had a very good 2020. But we don't really see uh, anything changing with regard to that. So again, uh, hard to predict the future, but in terms of the fundamentals, in terms of what the companies are doing, in terms of how they're allocating capital and how they're perceived um, as. Uh, a bit of an immunization to uh, inflation out there today, Um, you know, we're very positive uh, looking
0: forward. And last question for both of you, I'll start with you, Jonathan, if you could have uh, some key takeaways today for our viewers, uh, what would you like to share with them?
1: Yeah, uh, so look, I I would just kind of summarize the investment super cycle that we see for listed infrastructure. So this is a space that's seen accommodative policies from around the globe. It's seen secular growth because of the themes of decarbonization, asset modernization, and digital transformation. Um, And it's all being done against the context uh, and and setup of an asset class, which is trading um, at a very attractive discount relative to other uh, asset classes that are out there while offering significant degrees of inflation protection. Um, so I, I think like John, I'm, I'm very much looking for t- forward to 2022 and, uh, and beyond.
0: Thank you, Jonathan. And John, the last word to you.
1: Yeah, very
2: similar. Um, you know, real estate is, uh, we sometimes call it the original alternative. Um, it's It's got um, great capital appreciation characteristics. It's got great income characteristics. It's got great correlation. Uh, relative to other asset classes uh, in the listed format that we're talking about um, today, it's very accessible to investors. And on top of it, you've got this uh, inflation component. So um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great strategic allocation for anyone's portfolio, really, whether you're um, a private or institutional investor. And, um, you know, we look forward to uh, a great year ahead.
0: Great. Thank you, Jonathan and John. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to you, our viewers, for joining us today. As always, you can find more information on all our strategies and what we're doing at nordeaassetmanagement.com. Until next time, happy holidays and see you next year.